when I was 13, uh, I was getting upset that I couldn't get a job. Like legally, you can get a job from 15 or 16, if I'm not mistaken. From 13, decided I wanted to make money. A lot of people here would expect some sort of tactic, some sort of strategy. There really is no tactic or strategy. It's the fundamentals. If people don't want to buy your product, it's not valuable enough. A lot of people, they might get the scarcity mindset, they might start to be afraid, they might start to experiment less, and they might start to spend less money. You need to be the opposite. So on today's episode, you're going to learn how to use this recession as a growth opportunity. At least some brands are going to do that. Great episode. You don't want to miss it. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or fourfold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Hi, everybody. I'm Kune Campbell, your host of the 2X e-commerce podcast show. And welcome, welcome, welcome. The episode you're about to listen to is an interview I had with Renis Crummins. He is the co-founder of an agency called Agency JR. Now, um, on this episode, the, I want he speaks to a lot of things, but let's talk about what Agency JR do. They do email marketing, essentially email and SMS marketing. And Renis um, helps essentially, you know, several e-commerce businesses actually with their email marketing um, using like a product launch strategy framework, which we discuss further later on. But the one big idea from this conversation was really 
your ability to diversify, to really not necessarily shrink your, um, have a, shall I say, scarcity mindset in, in, in these really troubled times to experiment and try and maintain through. So maintaining through, and he just goes through how to actually use this recession as a growth opportunity. And then we get into the nitty gritty of email marketing, um, performance, and their own unique methodology they use for, for their clients. That's the long and short. So it's a great episode you you should listen to if like you want to find out, you know, more about, you know, the growth opportunity that lays within this economic downturn, as well as, um, you know, getting some Q4 email marketing strategy um, tips from Rainus. Enjoy. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey, Rainus, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to have you on. Happy to be here. Happy to be brilliant, here. Thank brilliant, you for brilliant. Me on. We, brilliant. We, we, we had um, some very interesting conversations last week. We almost crossed paths in person um, even last week. And um, you're coming to the um, Commerce Excel conference. It, it's really, really exciting. And I'm very, very, very pleased to, to, to have you on, on today's episode. Yes, 100%. Super excited to dive into it. Always a pleasure to speak here. All right, Renis, um, I want to know more about who you are, you know, um, you know, what was your childhood like and, and how did that just loop into like your first job? Uh, good question. Uh, with here, I have a, I have a bit of a curveball. I've never worked a job in my entire life. I've always done things for myself. I've always kind of either been like a sole proprietor or worked for myself. But it's but it's a very interesting story because ever since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to. My primary my primary focus was uh, making money. Um, I came from a family where I was raised from my by my grandma and my mother, and we didn't have you know unlimited funds in life really. Uh, I, I wasn't living a bad childhood by no means, but it wasn't you know like. Of of where where you could buy whatever you want, we had a lot of constraints, and I think it really helped me uh, as a per- person later down the line. Fast forward, first grade, um, first grade to second grade. Um, my mom, she started meeting my current stepdad. And this gave me a new perception to open my eyes to what you could do as a person. Because previously as a kid, I knew I wanted to make money. I knew I wanted to, you know, figure out a, a way to increase my income personally. Uh, and I thought it would be through the, through the, uh, uh, the financial vehicle, which is law. 
I saw lawyers going to, you know, the, the, the big skyscrapers and, you know, U.S. films, and I thought I'd do the same. But really what changed my life and what changed my perception was seeing, understanding that my uh, stepfather, he owned a company. At first, I thought he was like an executive, like, oh, like, you know, he works for the company. Mom said, no, like he built it. And then it was like a, like a mind-blown explosion to where I can build stuff on my own. I don't really need to work for someone. Um, because I was, I was a bit of a rebellious kid. I like to do things on my own, um, not really follow, follow like the status quo. So then fast forward, um, 11, I saw a couple of people outside the lake, they were fishing and we had this compost where I had, where we had worms. And what I would do as a kid, I would go to the compost, I would pick worms and put them in like, you know, the boxes and sell these off to the fishermen. I would go off and I would, without me even knowing what it is, I would do direct mail. I would create letters and I would throw it into people's mailboxes, trying to sell them, sell them on a subscription uh, for these, for these, uh, for these worms. It wasn't anything crazy. It was like 11 cents a box. Uh, but, but, you know, to an 11 year old kid, that was massive. Mm. When I was 13, uh, I was getting upset that I couldn't get a job. Like legally you can get a job from 15 or 16, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. From 13, decided I wanted to make money. Because at that time, iPhone 6 came out and I, I begged my parents to get it for me, but they wouldn't. So I decided I'm going to get it on my own. Um, so yeah, I started mowing lawns for my neighbors initially. Then, then my parents, they helped me out a ton. They, they introduced me to some of the friends with, for whom I would mow my, mow my lawns for. And I would make like actually pretty decent money. I would make either 10 or sometimes even 20 bucks an hour, which for uh, a 13 year old kid is pretty good. Parallel to this at nights, I would do graphic design. So I would be designing banners for Call of Duty sniping clans. Um, hmm. A lot of the work there was for free. I didn't get paid that much, but it was something that, that it was a skill I was passionate for. And I thought I might do maybe game design later. I wanted to make my video games. So it was something I, I kind of like saw as a skill that I could later use in life. 15, I pivot into becoming like a mini fitness influencer. I would just document my journey in the fitness space, make YouTube videos because YouTube was always my passion. And up to when I was 17, I grew it to around 14,000 followers. And uh, in the steps of some other people in the fitness space, I decided I can take my skills, take the skills I have uh, and go into um, the social media marketing space. That's where I started, you know, my first agency. But as you might expect, a 16, 17 year old, 18 year old kid going into like a huge office, he doesn't have much changes, change, chances to be hired by a company, uh, even though he has more followers in the company at the time. Mm. Um, but still, this, this got me to the path where I, I was looking more outside of my own country into the US and into other markets. Uh, and eventually uh, it took some time, but I got some traction. It wasn't with, with what, what I originally started. It was with an email marketing agency. We started to work with a brand called The Banker Brand, which later we did a great job for. They referred us to John Batia. Shout out to you, John. Uh, he was running this brand called Motivated.fit. It was a course with uh, the uh, celebrity trainer who trained Jennifer Lopez, The Game, Prince Royce, a bunch of celebrities. And we created a course with them. Um, most people here probably have seen their ads. The most memorable one, if, if you might remember, I don't have it with me, but there was him jumping on like, you know, this this uh, U-hauler, uh, which looked insane on video as, uh, as an ad. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but that, that was where, where things kind of like started getting traction. With John and, and another guy, Connor, we started, uh, we had phantom equity in the business where we were creating courses with influencers and kind of we started scaling that. Uh, we did some Legion offers. It was doing really, really well. But we ended up pivoting into where me and my business owner, business partner, Jacob, we own equity, which is email marketing. Um, that's what we've been doing for the past three, almost three and a half years, definitely three years, maybe three and a half even. Uh, and, and that's what we've been, yeah, that we've been crushing it at that. Uh, not from my words, but from people around us. Uh, from, from our, from our perspective, there's still a lot of opportunity to grow a lot more new things to learn, but still I'm, I'm very, very excited where we are right now with the brands we work with and the events we've been to, uh, and, and obviously the people we've met along the, the, the way, uh, it's been, a, been a very, very, uh, exciting journey. Super interesting. So are you, um, so with agency JR, um, yes. I guess the JR is are your initials um, yes. with with J being Jacob and um, R being Renus. You, yes, that's right. Okay, not Junior. <laughs> okay, Junior. <laughs> All right. Um, question is: Are you exclusively an email agency at Agency JR, or do you also um, integrate? Um, do you also work with SMS? Are you email and SMS, or just exclusively email? Yes, email and SMS. Uh, for Q4, we became landing page builders too, but it's not at a massive scale. It's for our top clients, but we have the Q4 launch strategy. We're creating specific bundle pages. We're creating, uh, opt-in pages. People can run ads to, but on, you know, a day-to-day basis, it's email and SMS. Yes. Interesting. And, um, when you, were, you know, doing the, the courses, you know, when, when you were organizing the courses for, for, um, you know, the fitness, um, industry yes. and the, the influencers, was it email, was it an email course or, um, was, was it, no. was it something else? No, it has completely nothing to do with what we do right now. So it would be, imagine, mm-hmm. let's say you find, you find uh, a painter. One of the f- most successful courses was a painting course. Uh, we would talk with the influencer. I would help them structure the course record a course with them, write copy for the VSL, write copy for the landing page, write copy for the ads, record the ads, send them off to the editor, create different slideshows, create graphic ads. Um, uh, all of that, all of that uh, was, was put into the course. So it had nothing to do with email marketing. We were doing email marketing as well for, for the courses, but it was primarily focused on the on the paid advertising acquisition, acquisition side. So like something like you can imagine like a regular e-commerce business, but instead of selling, selling physical products, we would sell, you know, a product on how to paint. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So we're in 2022 uh, now time's just going like there's a lot going on. We're in 2022 now. Um, the world has changed. The world is changing rapidly. What's your take on the state of commerce? at the moment and um what 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 you, what what are your projections off the back of this state in which we're we're in uh, I got a question a lot of people are talking about the potential recession um well theoretically we are in a recession i think with the money printing it's not going to be looking good uh in the short term uh, i th- i think we're g- it's going to be it's going to be a lot more challenging for brands to just do media buying arbitrage like what they've been doing Quite often, quite frequently, right, right now, you'll need to get smarter as a brand. You'll need to, um, you'll need to evolve. There's going to be a lot of 
uh, brands dying, to be 100% honest, uh, from from what's going on right now in, in the space. So in the what, short term- what, what, Sorry, what kind of brands do you think will be dying? What do you think they're doing wrong or have done wrong to trigger their, their death? Good question. So I'd say, number one, they're only relying on media buying arbitrage. They're not focusing on, let's say, other channels. It doesn't even have to be email and SMS, but it's just like not being only on, let's say, Facebook, not being only on, let's say, TikTok, but being on multiple media buying channels, on retention channels. So you have, uh, for example, Facebook, Instagram, you have TikTok, you might even have Google, so you have diversified acquisition. You could even have a division for influencer marketing. This is something we talked about before hopping on a call that that uh, what's going to be important right now with iOS 14.5, any, any other changes that... To, to build a brand that's profitable, you need to be able to adapt quickly. Like the reason why most people are using Facebook uh, is because there, there was this untapped opportunity. But as we keep on using Facebook, the opportunity is going to go away eventually. So we'll need to shift on to other, other marketing tactics. On top of that, this also is on the retention end, working on building a community. I was talking with the CMO of uh, Triple Whale, Raba. He said like the, the brands they work with the, 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 who are crushing it the most, they have their own communities. Uh, that way you can get people to buy again without spending any money on advertising. Because that also taps into email marketing, that taps into SMS marketing, having community. You have your direct, you have your direct fans. You basically have this, this hub of, of your fan base where you can interact with them, see what kind of products they want to get launched. It's something that a brand, my obvi, they, they absolutely crush it with that. Uh, mm. they, they're able to launch new products, uh, you know, generate 150K a day and, and literally have women wait at, at midnight for the new product drop, for the new product drop and pay rides that comes out. Uh, so I, I think that that's very powerful. Uh, this kind of leads into a lot of dropshipping brands dying. I don't think most of them will. There are people who do some gray hat, black hat. I think that will be, you'll be able to survive because there are also always ways to kind of like go through it if you're deep enough. Um, but but I think like people who are just like regular, doing regular e-commerce casually, I think they're going to be struggling a lot who might be just doing it as a side side hustle because it's not a side hustle. It needs to be something where you can put a lot of time and effort into. Uh, and right now, it's it's all about skill acquisition, being able to pivot quickly, being able to diversify your acquisition, retention channels, um, and doing it at the smart way. Because it's, it's difficult when you're starting out, but once you already have some traction, uh, you need to do it. It's easy to do it too quickly, to where you might mess up and you might over-diversify. Um, but doing it too late also isn't too good because you might as well die overnight because of some issues. That, that, that is correct. And even in the higher end of the market, um, there, there, there's still a lot of um, challenges, you know, in the higher end of 100%. the market. Um, there's a chap, Luke, Luke Weston, um, he shared on LinkedIn yesterday, kind of like his predictions on... Um, just so he so for two and a half years ago he was like the market the D2C market is overvalued there's like um you know Allbirds Casper Birchbox yeah. Stitch yes. Fix all those brands Peloton remember Peloton over the the um the pandemic it was valued yeah, at forty seven billion dollars and now Too it's much. down to <laughs> four billion you know that's a tenth of its value less than a tenth of its valuation. And it just seems to be a correction, um, a massive, massive correction. 
you know, at, at the moment. Um, it's it's what about like the um, sameness, you know? So you know, um, say phone cases, for instance. Um, there there are only very few distinctive phone case brands, and there there are lots of like me too, D to C phone case brands just this is just random i'm just saying yes um do, do you think there's this consolidation going on whereby even the offering is a bit too this the, the market's just proliferated and, and that's why facebook is actually mm-hmm. rowdy as a as a channel because there's this gold rush d2c yes. gold rush and do you see any consolidation you know further down the line maybe through acquisitions yes. or just you know, as you just alluded to, just falling off, you know, the, the sideway and letting much bigger companies, you know, um, do you think there'll be stronger companies that'll come off the back of, you know, this recession at the other side? Um, so a very good question, actually. At the end, you kind of pivoted my answer a bit because you, you touched upon a, a different part. I will give two answers to this. Number one, I think a lot of brands will die out because as you mentioned, a lot of brands are just relying on media buying arbitrage. I buy a customer for 20 bucks, they spend 60 bucks, three extra was great, I can scale. Um, and like with a lot of these phone cases brands, that's how they've been living. That's how they've been surviving. They're not something, for example, like Peel, or they're not something like Rhino, Rhino Shield, where you know you have brands uh, that that people come back to, and like they would go into retail retail locations and buy products from there. They're relying on like, hey, I have a cool design. Someone might you know need to buy a phone case right now, and they buy it, right? So that's that's what a lot of people are relying to. Those brands, I think, they're going to be struggling. Um, but to answer your question more specifically about the correction side, I think smaller brands have better chances of survival than bigger brands. Um, based that's primarily based on the financials. As a big brand, you're going to be moving slower. You're going to be making decisions slower. As a small brand, if you're smart, if you're able to diversify, you can make decisions quicker. And you can swoop in while while others are just you know making decision which direction to move in. Um, a great example of this could be. Like even learning a new channel, like a, mar- a new marketing channel. The small brands, they were on TikTok quite quickly. Whereas the big brands, we still see have friends who have TikTok marketing agencies and they get like nine figure brands coming to them, trying to understand, learn TikTok. It's because like, you know, they already have their main marketing channels. They understand that. But it's it's this like only rarely have like massive brands who do everything in house that come to like relatively small agencies were not like, you know, the Ogilvy um, for, for, uh, for marketing, uh, marketing campaigns, media buying and, and whatnot. Um, so being able to move quick is going to be a huge advantage. Uh, this means a great example of this is, let's say a, a lot of these huge brands, I'm not a fan of them. And I think, I don't think they'll survive. Like you mentioned, like Casper, Albert, so on and so forth, Manscaped, they all lose money. They are trying to, they are want to be VC, they want to be SaaS businesses who will never achieve a SaaS business status because the issue is you raise a bunch of capital with the idea of you uh, becoming a unicorn, you being profitable in the future, where it's not going to be the case. They're still doing the media buying arbitrage. And if your financials are not right from the get go, you're not going to get there. If you build a brand slower to where you can raise capital, but you build it profitably, that's a whole different scenario. A great example of this is Thrasio. They're the fastest company in history to get to a billion dollar valuation profitably. Right now they're valued at 10 billion. And basically what they do is they, they acquire Amazon FBA brands. 
and they acquired these brands uh, as uh, as cash flow uh, as cash flow businesses. Um, you might have a brand that's doing well on Amazon. Um, you know, you, you can't scale, you can't get, you know, the economics of scale. You have someone like Thrasio who can come in and who can really scale up your brand. And, and that's where they can really add value. That's where I see value. You might have a lot more of these micro brands, like eight figure brands, instead of maybe like this one massive nine figure brand, but there is no profitability. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R. GIAS.com and mention 2x e commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2x e commerce. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's like back to the basics, as you said. These are cash, boring cash flow businesses. These are value investments that they're not necessarily growth, you know, speculative growth companies. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're tried and tested. Their bitter is good, you know, um, is, is rock solid. They have multiples. Thrasher so just, you know, purchases them, exploits the economies of scale with with yeah. with all of those brands in their in their portfolio, both from a staffing standpoint, um, down to to even a, a, a um, you know um, a sourcing standpoint. You know, sourcing talent. 
revenue and then, you know, and then position. I, I believe Thrasio is like top five in terms of like Amazon merchants right now in Amazon USA. Thrasio is like one of the top five, which, which is incredible in itself, you know, uh, outside of um, Amazon, obviously. Amazon has the biggest market share. Yes. Okay, so... Speaking to to email marketing um, specifically and SMS, um, what what do you think is the relationship now with email and, and SMS, and and how are you know best in class companies um, making both not sort of overlap or cannibalize, but rather just making them work in sync to maximize yes. customer lifetime value. Good question. I would take a step back at this, and instead of talking about cannibalization, customer lifetime value, email and SMS, they do two things, and they're focused on two things. Number one is new customer acquisition, and number two is the repeat buyer and profit generator. So number one is where you focus on basically taking people who haven't placed an order yet and getting them to convert. A lot of times you can be a lot more aggressive here, just getting the customer acquired. And there is going to be some cannibalization here, 100%. That's because attribution will never be perfect and you cannot make it perfect. And it's also like how, like they might see an email, they might not click, but they still buy. It might be as a result of, let's say, an email they saw. So I wouldn't be overly obsessed with uh, attribution on the front end side. A lot of times it's thinking about and figuring out in general, like you might be looking at your MER. Uh, or, or you know, your 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 profit for for a new uh, new user ac- acquired. Those are metrics that that work together with email marketing, but you can't really like just separate them and isolate them out 100%. Theoretically, you can, but practically, I wouldn't look at it as that. I'd look at look at it as something that plugs into your current ecosystem and marketing system to scale up higher. Really, on the, on this side, email marketing is is just like uses ROAS booster. So for people mm-hmm. that go to the site, but you know they haven't made a decision, we can capture email with a pop-up. That way we can have more touch points with them over email. We can handle their concerns over email. For the people that go to the site, but don't look at any SKUs and leave, we have a site abandonment sequence. For people that go to look at the product and leave, we, we have a browse abandonment sequence. For people that tap the add to cart button, but don't buy, abandoned cart sequence. And for people that go to the checkout, but don't buy, abandoned checkout sequence. We can have these multiple touch points based on what people are doing behaviorally on the site, which can help boost ROAS. Um, a lot of times with these emails, it's, it's just talking with your customer support team, understanding what are people's concerns and why they might not be buying. Email marketing goes back to the fundamentals of copy and any marketing. It's understanding who your customers are, why they buy and why they don't buy. It, it might be that uh, if, let's say, I was actually buying a very specific product. I was buying a tripod iPhone stand. My question before buying it was like, is this going to attach to my tripod? I might abandon a checkout because I don't know. And if you know that might be your customer's concerns, you can handle those within emails. And that way, they might click on email and buy right away, or they might keep that in mind and you hit them with a retargeting ad and you have a concern that's being handled, but let's say you handle a different concern with the, the ad. That way you basically, like through multiple touch points, you're able to convert them for the first time. On the flip side, we have the repeat buyer and profit generator. That is where you would typically send out thank you emails once people have placed an order, win back emails, bounce back emails, and also email campaigns. 
Here, what's important is once someone has placed an order, you set the right expectations for when the order is going to arrive. This is not something that, that again, is going to be correlated directly with, you know, you making money. What this is going to be correlated is indirectly. Again, look, you're going to see this back in your mirror. If you set the right expectations for when a product is going to arrive, people are going to have more certainty. If you combat the people's natural tendency to have buyer's remorse, you're going to have less refunds. If you make them feel good about their purchase and you you personalize you personalize the the um, the thank you emails based on whether they've placed the order for the first second time or third time, again they're gonna they're gonna feel better. This also allows you to make sure they have a wonderful customer experience, so you can start asking for um, for UGC for video reviews for text reviews, uh, and you can start upselling them with email campaigns. Um, when it comes to retention and customer lifetime value, a lot of times what email marketing is, is giving people ideas. A great example of this would be, uh, you might have, let's say we have a campaign that's that's sent out to people who sell. These are, there's not blue light blocking glasses, but imagine, I, I see Cornell, you're, you're wearing blue light, block, blue light blocking glasses as well. Let's say we're advertising those. Within an email marketing list, we might have a non-buyer segment of people who haven't placed any orders yet. To them, we could write them an email, a value email promoting promoting three underrated Netflix shows. And at the bottom of the email, we told we could tell them, hey, if you're gonna be watching these Netflix shows, you might as well protect your eyes and look cute through our blue light blocking glasses. That way we kind of hook them in with some value and then we lead that into the idea of like if you're gonna be watching these shows, protect your eyes with blue light blocking glasses. This is what you would consider a value email. These are things we send out from time to time where we don't sell directly, but we sell indirectly. This could also be, let's say you're selling a mop. You could send them uh, an email showing or, or teaching them how they can clean their house, you know, 30 minutes faster. Uh, it could be, for example, telling them if you're selling, let's say the Dyson's uh, uh, cordless uh, vacuum, you could, use, you could use the same angle there and talk about more of like in a salesy vibe uh, that, you know, with a cordless vacuum, you can do things quicker. You have maybe some spe- specific mops. You can create a bundle for like the effortless, quick house cleaning solution, as an example. It's giving people ideas and, and telling them things they don't yet know uh, that's going to increase retention. Another example is um, a brand we were actually having a conversation with who were selling uh, skiing equipment. So skiing jackets and pants. And as their business is very, very seasonal, we, uh, we had an email campaign idea because they launched their new collection of, of swimming shorts. They wanted us to push these swimming shorts throughout summer and then throughout winter, they wanted us to kind of like focus on, on the, the, their main catalog, which, which are, you know, the, um, uh, the winter jackets and pants. But what we can do once people have placed an order, we can upsell them to the swimming shorts. And that's that's because if you know your customer, you know they're probably going to go to a skiing resort. What do skiing resorts have? A pool. They might want to go relax the spa, go to the pool, go to the jacuzzi. So then we can give them this idea of like, hey, if you're going to a skiing resort, get our shorts as well or add our shorts to the order. There you can increase the, the either average order value or customer's lifetime value as well. It's about creating creative ideas and giving your customers ideas that make sense to them that make their life easier and make their life better. I like the idea of, um, of, of like value, the, the value based, um, emails, um, the, the most, um, 
because um, you are essentially trying to enhance their lives, their lives yes. with, um, with, with suggestions, you know, you could do this, you know, and this, and this aligns with their interests. So, so I'm, I'm thinking like if, if you're speaking to like fitness enthusiast, um, the value you're giving them is related to improving their fitness life, you know, just motivating them, you know, to be, you know, better athletes or what have you, or just healthier people. Yes. And then you have that, um, you know, um, product plug essentially. Um, is this a flow or would this be a campaign? Um, this is definitely life cycle. So this is probably post-purchase, yes. right? Uh, even pre-purchase. Uh, you okay. can even send us pre-purchase. We do this a lot of times with campaigns. If something works well, we can put, put it in the flow. Uh, if you're selling supplements, you can send people emails giving them recipe ideas, right? Even, even if it's pre-purchase, it still makes sense because then you give them a reason for why they should buy it. Let's say someone's trying to lose weight and they were looking at your, your protein powder. You can show them how they can you know, retain muscle and help them you know, lose weight with fewer calories. And you can compare like a regular pancake recipe versus a protein pancake recipe. You can c- compare the calories and then and then upsell them to, for example, your your uh, no sugar syrup. And then you create again like a pancake bundle. And if someone, let's say, is trying to lose weight, them thinking about like, oh yeah, I take my milk, I take my protein powder, kind of tastes like crap, but I still drink it, whatever. But if you can show them like, hey, you can do this, they might not even realize it. A lot mm-hmm. of times people don't realize stuff that's obvious to you, but you got to tell it to them. So, so how often would you, would you send these value emails? Is it just part of the usual strategy where every time they expect to hear from you, you drop a bit of value? Um, Not every time. Almost like, almost like mm-hmm. a newsletter because newsletters do yeah. this only that they're very content driven without, mm-hmm. you know, much call to actions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't do it every time. If let's say we're sending 12 campaigns a month, we might have one to four of them be value. It also, it again, also depends on the brand itself, because for some brands, it might be the other way around where like eight to nine, eight to nine campaigns are value. But in most DTC scenarios, if you're selling clothes, you can't really send a value email, right? You can send the emails showing them different outfits that would be considered value email, like your outfit for the winter, your outfit for, let's say, you know, and the school's coming up, your, 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 uh, your outfit for the prom or your daughter's prom. You can have value go out that way. It's just like thinking about like, if, if I'm a customer, like how can my life be easier? That would be considered a value email. For some brands, you can do it more often. For other brands, you can do it less often. But I'd say like 10 to 30% in most cases. In other cases um, where the solutions are more specific or let's say you're in the fitness space, you can send that a lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing about it really is um, it also cements your your thought leadership, you know, in a way, um, it, it, it gives you, um, just more credibility if you, you truly deliver value from, you know, that, um, perspective and people trust you, right? Yeah. And shareability. If you look at Ogilvy's books, uh, he has one of his most famous ads. It was selling a laundry detergent. It was show, it was, it was an ad teaching people how they can eliminate different kinds of stains wine stain, I don't know, like uh, oil stain, whatever, whatever. And you would use it as a cheat sheet, like housewives would take it, rip it out of the newspaper, use it as a cheat sheet, and always have the product itself. There's the same mentality there. It These value emails, they might not drive the most sales right away, but there's something, again, that primes people, that gives people ideas, that has a shareability factor, uh, which is useful to them. 
it's a seed, really. It's a big, big, big seed yes. in, in the in the brain. Interesting stuff. Okay, so um I was reading in, in our notes your um your product launch strategy. Um, do you want to speak to that and and how it could be applied to um to, to quarter four um from an email perspective? Oh, that is exciting because right now I'm doing calls all day with our clients. We're going through our, our Q4 email marketing plan. Uh, but yes, so the, the core of the product launch formula and how that works is it can be used for brand launches for, for anything. Uh, in this case, it's the, the Q4 sales launch, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales launch. And we structure them into, in this case, it'll be five phases, but typically it's four phases. I'll talk about phase zero later, but I'll talk, you know, phase one to four. So phase one is the hype up. Phase two is the uh, pre-sale slash commitment. Phase three is the big sale launch and phase four is the follow-up. Phase zero is something we have for the Black Friday, Saturday, Monday. That is the, uh, that is the, uh, that is driving the traffic. The way in Q4 our strategy works is we're creating specific landing pages and we're creating specific bundles that are email exclusive. They're not going to be exclusive to no one else. Um, and then we create landing pages. Landing page one is where we drive traffic from our existing email list, from paid ads, from SMS, and from the pop-up on the site to an early birds list who can get early access into the Black Friday, Saturday, Monday deals. Mm. Then with the existing email list, we try to re-engage old subscribers and have email campaigns where we try to engage existing subscribers. A great example of this is uh, we send an email where we ask people to reply to the email. The reason why is because once they have replied, our email is saved in their contacts, so our messages are going to go into the primary folder. So if you know you do that before Black Friday, Saturday, Monday, we're able to get more emails in the primary folder from people who might buy Black Friday, Saturday, Monday offers. Then... Then we enter phase one hype up. So this is the preparation. Then we enter phase one uh, hype up. Um, hype up is we get people excited for this. So we can run ads to the landing page, getting people to opt in. Uh, we would create emails, teasing the offers, teasing the product launches if there are any, and keeping people updated on the Q4 launch. We would also do... Um, Re-engagement during this time, uh, re-engaging with older customers of the email is getting them back in the engage segments, so on and so forth. And this leads us to November. This all would be done in October, starting November. Well, from midweek, we do the early sale launch where people who have signed up to get access early, they get access to the Black Friday deals a week before. And this is very important because during the hype up phase, we make sure people think about your offers as offers they're going to buy. We think they, they think about saving money for your offers and some something else. And when we give these offers early to people who signed up, they have money. They like they might have, let's say, five thousand set aside to spend on products, hypothetically speaking. And you you can get the highest AOVs because you launch your Black Friday sale early. You're not the last and they're like thinking over you spent like you know four thousand dollars, only have a thousand left. They might spend, you know, only let's say a hundred bucks instead of five hundred, which they might have, you know, spent if they come to you first. Then throughout the, the Black Friday week, we have phase three, which is the uh, the big sale launch. So here Starting Monday to Sunday, we'd be sending daily emails. We'd send emails twice a day. So the big sale launch and the follow-ups, they're kind of like merged together. Uh, the reason why we send two emails a day is because there's going to be a lot of brands sending emails. And we want to stand out. 
In normal months, the frequency is too much, but in Black Friday, that's really the way you can stand out uh, from, from um, you know, the competition in Black Friday. Then afterwards, we roll this into the December sales where we push people, we give people gift ideas. Again, a lot of these campaigns would be giving people gift ideas. If you, let's say you're selling a product that might be sunglasses or let's say whatever the product is, I'll, I'll give... I'll give sunglasses. You need to figure out the way on how this could be the perfect gift. You might have, let's say, a USB, which is your unique packaging. Your packaging experience might be amazing. So you can talk about that. Give them a packaging experience they'll remember. Like that could be like one of like the main hook, the headline. And that's how you can come up with these ideas and give your customers ideas, give them reasons for why they should buy your product. Then you don't look at email marketing as like, oh, I need to write an email, but you look at email marketing as how can I provide value? How can I not convince our customers, but how can I give our customers ideas on why they need to buy? Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, perspective. And I really think this value-driven approach to communicating and selling is like fundamental. Um so, so, so quite, quite, quite interesting that there, there are lots of, of steps, you know, um, you, you're just involved, but, but yeah. And, and I, I do agree cool that <laughs> starting early is like super important. Don't worry, we'll trans- transcribe all this in, in the show notes. We, we do a pretty good job at like sort of transcribing to, to, to detail with, 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 with all, all, all our guests have said, but, but I do think that, um, the starting early bit is, is really really important, um, really important. What about just the fact that, I mean, there's inflation, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There's in the UK, at least there's 18%, there's expected 18% um, inflation by December of 2022. Um, In that's official in real times. um, We've we've definitely hit that. Um, You know, there's, there's either shrinkflation in terms of the, reduction of content in, in products, particularly yes. in the, in, in, in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's inflation in terms of just prices of everything's gone up, which means that the discretionary income of, of average shoppers who are, you know, you know, your customers has shrunk. So from a, you know, just going back to the value perspective, how can, um, merchants or e-commerce operators really um, drive that message that, look, we know you have less to spend, but when it comes to making these purchase decisions, we should be, you know, part of that mix. You know, we should be considered in in the way you spend because, um, you know, it's, this is really like, you know, who's going to win the race and, and, and mm-hmm. people who lose this race, they're going to go out of business essentially. And yes. basically consumers have less to spend. That's the, the reality. So, so how do you persuasively at the same time, you know, um, ethically um, really convince shoppers and not all shoppers, as you said, you know, 20% of shoppers may just not react as, you know, as you earlier said, but how can, can, can brands really get through? And, and does this loop back to that value piece you, you, you're talking about, um, particularly in Q4, how, how, how should we sort of approach yeah. 
um, you know, that messaging um, to, 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 to get in, you know, and be first in, in mind, essentially. Yeah, to be fair, I don't know if I can answer this on a podcast because I'll have nine-figure businesses just going after me. Um, but it's very difficult. Um, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> this whole intro was a lot of people here would expect some sort of tactic, some sort of strategy. There really is no t- tactic or strategy. It's the fundamentals. If people don't want to buy your product, it's not valuable enough. Here... The only tactic I can think of, the only tactic that could work is launching new products for Q4. Um, The reason why is because people like something new. And during Q4, launching new products has always been very successful. That's the only tactic we have there. Going back to what you asked specifically, it just, like, from a marketing perspective, tactical perspective, perspective, giving people ideas and showing how your product is valuable and building desire for it, but really, it's about making your product better. I think a lot of a lot of this is the fundamentals, which can't be built overnight, is having a real fan base for your product, building community where people are going to be raging fans, where people will be ready to take out loans to buy your products. Um, um, at that at that point, like if they're taking out loans to buy products, that's a bit of a different ethical question. But ultimately, you you get you get the the result you well, want. Well, I get it. Yeah, yeah, to where you thrive during during Q4. I'd say it's it's more about the fundamentals of your business, which is the community, which is, you know, actually building like some sort of a cult-like following, which comes from the community, that's giving people ideas on how they can better use your products to show how valuable it is. Uh, and also launching your product. Um, you know, like if you're launching your product and your competitors haven't, let's say you're deciding between, uh, in the fitness space, between buying a product from Gymshark or, you know, Athlete. Yeah, athlete. I think that was the name. Um, if one of the brands launch new products and the others don't, you know, there's going to be more promotion around. There's going to be more buzz in the fitness community around the brand that launched new products. So if that's you, and you have a community, even better, more power to you. Uh, you can you can get people to talk with you, uh, talk about you for free, and give referrals out for free because you have something unique coming around the time when people are ready to buy a lot of stuff. Um, so, so that's, that's what I would say. Uh, so, so, so that novelty of, of new, you know, of newness of, yeah. of a product, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. but obviously you'd have, you still need to build that brand equity and trust. So people yes. get excited 100%. about the new stuff and that's down to community at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting. So, in, in in all in all fairness, um, I guess the success of of most e-commerce brands this Q4 would be dependent strongly on the communities they've built up until now, up until that point in time, you know. Um because yeah, it's it's tough, right? Well, I mean, look, like you also have paid ads and everything. Like you can crush with that. But I'm thinking paid ads, it can go either one or two ways. Um, like if like with, with the recession, option A is paid ads costs lower, but with that lowers your uh your the, the people who would buy. So ROAS lowers, so you need to lower your budget slowly but surely. That's option A. Option B, which would be better, big brands start to work less. So for brands who, you know, are under nine figures a year we have more wiggle room to actually possibly even become a bit more profitable. But at the end of the day, what matters is 
I think what people need to think about during this Q4, uh, you need to think about how can I spend the same amount of money I spent last year? Uh, but it doesn't have to be Facebook. It doesn't have to be the same channels. This could be you uh, figuring out how to do micro-influencer marketing, you figuring out influencer marketing, and you're just trying to keep up the marketing budget as, as high as possible with a similar uh, MER. Uh, and I think Which that is a marketing efficiency important. ratio. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically your total revenue divided by your total ad spend across all platforms. Um, so, so I think that would be what you what you might need to focus on because a lot of people they might get the scarcity mindset. They might start to be afraid. They might start to experiment less, and they might might start start to spend less money. You need to be the opposite. You need to take market share. You need to be more aggressive. Uh, that might come with more risk, but you need to do calculated risk and 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 think think it through more, so you can take market share and the buzz is around you rather than your competition. And I guess now's the time to, to like, yes, there's the time you start experimenting these new channels, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, we, we could go on, on and on and on. Um, but, but, um, just being cognizant of, of time. Um, I think we're, we've just come to about 45 minutes recording this. Serenus, um, are you, um, for, for those people who want to find out more about what you guys do at agency JR, um, it's agencyjr.com. Um, are you active on any social media channels if people want to just follow what your work? Um, if if yes, w- what social media channels are you active on? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Pornhub. Email right now, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, you can find me on tw- Twitter, Instagram, email Rainus. So email R-E-I-N-I-S. Uh, Twitter is a great platform, pretty active on there. Uh, Instagram is more friends and family stuff, but uh, that, that's where we connect with a lot of our, uh, our our friends as well and meet up with a lot of our friends. Twitter is more valuable. LinkedIn as well, Rainus Crummins. Uh, spelling my last name is going to be a challenge. So it's K-R-U-M-I-N-I-S, Crummins. Um, yeah. You can find me on those platforms. I'm pretty active everywhere. You can, you can, catch, you can catch me there. Uh, or yeah, you can talk with me on agencygr.com. Uh, just book a call if you want to chat been, or talk about life. <laughs> thank you so much, um, Rines. And um, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you for taking me on. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind just search for 2x e-commerce on facebook to find it answer three questions and you'll be approved grab the show notes of this episode on our website 2xecommerce.com finally if you haven't already give the show a review on your podcasting app catch you on the next show and keep growing